Today's Tuesday, April 14th, 2020, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast, it's another quarantine edition of the show, but that doesn't stop us with the NFL Draft Fast approaching. How is this virtual setup going to work? We get nostalgic and talk about our Maryland sports with Mount Rushmore and favorite Oreo memories, and we give you a rundown of some crazy sports news around the world. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. When excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS quarantined. BS quarantined. Threw me off there, Scott. What's up, BSers? <laughs> I don't even know what the hell was going on. I don't know if you're having a seizure or what. I got to mix it up a little bit with this quarantine <laughs> stuff. I'm going crazy. Fred Scott coming to you virtual style again for the third week in a row. Brian is at home doing some work, but he's still tuned in. He's still in the chat room. Going to be communicating with all you guys through our uh, Birdland BS account. Chatting up in the chat room. Uh, we got a lot to cover on the show. As I said, kind of pre-show. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL draft and obviously the uniqueness of what this draft is going to be, how this whole thing is going to shake out. I'm I'm actually kind of excited for it just to be out of the norm. <laughs> yes, it's going to be finally something sports related that is not a failure like something else was this week. Right. <laughs> and we're going to get into that. I can't, I'm so excited to kind of talk about that for a minute. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited to actually get something that that hopefully, knock on wood, is not going to be a failure and will will be able to be worked out in some way. Right. We're going to get a little nostalgic on you, as you see in the title there. Man, we're going to talk a little bit about Scott and I's Maryland Sports Mount Rushmore, who we see as the four biggest athletes to come through the state of Maryland or come from the state of Maryland or whatever it may be, guys that are related to the state of Maryland that played here. Uh, and that could be everything. That could be everything. Ravens, Colts. Athletes, you know, Terps, period. Olympic athletes. It could be just sports in general, <laughs> whatever it may be. Uh, and then we're going to take a trip down memory lane with the Orioles, man. Get a kind of a little into some of the memories that Scott and I both have. Obviously, we grew up around the same time frame. Uh, some of the biggest memories that might have impacted us the most as fans. Mine a little bit more recent time frame than yours. All right, we're about the same, Scott. Stop. <laughs> I had to get my old, you're older than me digging. Yeah, it's every week. <laughs> I want to give you the rundown of some crazy sports news around the world, uh, as there's definitely some interesting topics some racial slurs, all kinds of things going on. People are just throwing around words because they're careless and don't know what else to do, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, got a lot to cover. But before we do too much, we do want to remind you guys, if you've ever been injured at work or in an auto accident and not sure who to call, 855-MD-CRASH. And the Maryland personal injury attorneys that are going to have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation, and I damn sure have, give our team at MD-CRASH a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering can all add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial place. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now, 855-MD-CRASH. That's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for some fun giveaways, hopefully for some tickets to an eventual future game. 
Fred, right, be- Scott. before we before we hop in fully into the show, I do want to acknowledge because we didn't really talk about it last week, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, Fred, I want you to raise your glass here with me for a second. All right, I got you. We are gonna do a toast to all of the first responders that are out there, all of the the personnel that are working in COVID units, all the the nurses, all the essential employees out there. You guys are making everyday life possible for everybody. This is these are the people you need to stay home for until they give us the all clear. You know, so just remember that in your everyday goings and everything that you're doing. So this is for you guys. We appreciate you guys. And hopefully we can provide you some entertainment. And my golden night's going to be able to make Fred laugh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) See, it works already. Right. Well, we appreciate you guys. And cheers to all of our first responders and essential employees doing their jobs out there right now. Appreciate you guys. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Cheers. So, yeah, we got we got to get into with our flock news, right? It's it's flock news slash NFL. We're prepping for for the draft, mm-hmm. and we have what nine days left? Nine days and counting. I mean, round one starts the twenty third uh, at eight o'clock. It's kind of a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday event. So they've got Thursday at eight o'clock on four twenty three. Next, uh, I guess a week and a half away. Not even a week and a half. Yeah. And then Friday they'll have rounds two and three starting at seven o'clock and then Saturday they'll have the rest of the draft rounds four through seven at 12. Yeah. So it, I mean, I'm really curious to see how they're going to work this, right? Because I, I know that there's, there's some talk of, you know, how they're going to set the, set these up. Yeah. And one of the things that that we are going to do is we're going to be potentially doing a a live zoom conference um, that we can, we can hop in. We're going to talk about some of the drafts and things like that. We're, we're working on those details. We'll have, we'll probably have those details for you next week yeah and just so you guys know out there i mean this is a a come one come all whoever wants to come and get into this zoom stream that we're going to do it's not a show based thing it's more just a a zoom hangout a bunch of anybody who wants to come hanging out in a zoom chat i think uh the feature that i ended up upgrading my account to allows up to 100 people in there so we'll get as many of you guys in there that want to join and just kind of hang out and talk football talk ravens uh as we kind of finally take in an event that's worthwhile, then we actually can uh, look forward to watching. Yeah, if you want to join us, once we get it set up, we'll let you guys know, and we'll we'll let you know where to contact us, and we'll get that link out there for everybody. Um, you know, you'll contact us individually so that we know who's who all's coming on and everything. But we're definitely so, going to make sure that we talk about everything. I do kind of want to talk about how this whole thing is going to lay out, right? So, the NFL and ESPN released uh, a little bit of a statement today, kind of outlining how this whole thing is going to shake out. Cause I've been curious how they were going to do this, how if ESPN was going to be doing their thing and the NFL network was going to be doing their thing, kind of like they've done in the past. But actually what's going to happen is the ESPN and the NFL network are going to combine to offer a singular presentation across both networks. ABC is going to be doing their own telecast for rounds one through three rounds one through three it's going to be more college football based that's where you'll probably see like kirk herb street and those guys it'll kind of be talking more about uh the the personalities kind of the behind the scenes stuff with uh with these college athletes where the espn and the nfl network are going to do their traditional stuff you know they're going to have uh, Trey Wingo in the studio. Right. They'll have Mel Kuyper, Lewis Reddick, Booger McFarland. Uh, who cares? Rich about Eisen. Him? Yeah, Rich Eisen. Uh, all these guys. Daniel uh, Jeremiah, you know, former yeah. Ravens exec. 
uh, Michael Irvin, Kurt Warner, Chris Mortensen, Adam Scheffler, all the people, they're all going to be doing uh, their part remotely. I think the only ones that are going to be in the studio from what I've heard uh, is going to be Trey Wingo and then Susie Culber. She's going to be in the studio as well, but she's going to be doing her, her like specific role will be doing uh, interviews with the, the, the dra- prospects. The, the, as yeah, the draft through. interviews. Draft so interviews, it, yeah. it'll be kind of a, a cool uh, outline of, of, you know, how they do it. And, you know, putting all those guys together and working together as one unit, I think is good. But I think the bigger news, and I think the more important news that's not really getting talked enough about, at least in my opinion, because I didn't hear about this today until today, this whole draft event, it's obviously three days, right? What they're going to be doing is they're actually going to be doing what they're calling a draft a thon. So it's going to be a fundraiser as well. Uh, which the proceeds are going to go to six different COVID-19 nonprofits to kind of help support relief efforts and that kind of thing. So it's not just going to be about football. I mean, there's a purpose to it. It, 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 To me, it'll almost kind of have that, like, what was that telethon that we used to watch when we were kids, had Jerry Lee Lewis? Remember, it was like kind of like a telethon. uh, Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I can't even think what they used to name it. Somebody out there in the chat room has got to be able to tell us what it is. I think it's going to have something similar to that. Obviously, the main purpose of it is going to be the draft and all. But listen, you know, any anything that we can do that we can donate, you know, to to try to help these release is uh, is much appreciated. And I think it's cool that they're doing this with this. Yeah, I think that's definitely awesome that they're they're stepping up. You know, you've already had some teams that have already said they're going to give. You've had some players saying that they're going to give. So this is just the league really stepping up and trying to make this an all out event for all. If you can't have you can't have the physical event, then you know what? Let's just go ahead and you know, raise the money. And I really think that what they should do is, is some of the, some of the things, some of the money that they were going to be spending on the, the actual event in Vegas, they needed to also take that and donate that as well. Yeah. So hopefully Absolutely. that comes out Brian's as well. Call me out for my age, talking about the Jerry Lee Lewis foundation or whatever, <laughs> whatever that telethon was. I just remember my parents watching it when I was a kid, every year I watched it and you know, it's these, it would be like, rows it'd be like four or five rows of people just answering phones and jerry lee lewis kind of like walking around and talking oh, to people and random concerts you know stuff. all all i can remember or all i could think about when you're talking about that is the episode of seinfeld where kramer is in there and he's like diving over people to get to the phones like <laughs> just and that's just all that it reminds me of you but I, you, obviously you can't put that many people in a room for this so right, it's all gonna exactly. be to see how they, they work it out um, so I, I'm really, I'm really curious. I'm excited though. You know, we talked about all these names that are going to be involved in this whole thing. And one thing that one person that I mentioned was Daniel, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, right? He's a former Ravens exec. So funny enough, Dan Patrick had Daniel on the show the other day on his podcast the other day, and they started talking about Tom Brady, right? And, 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 they started asking him questions about would Tom Brady have won more football well, games or more Super Bowls so with yeah, another organization? So, well, no, of the, so the, the question, what the question actually that Dan actually posed to him was, was if you could go, if you could ask, if you could get, be in front of Tom Brady and ask him one question. Oh, right. right, right. You know, what would it be? And that kind of leads into what you're talking about. And that was his answer. So take a listen. Uh, like let's say because I work there, Tom, if you were the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens with their personnel, how many Super Bowls would you have won there? Hmm. I I bet you if he told the truth, he'd say 10. (laughs) Really? 
<laughs> I mean, look at the personnel, Dan. Compare the personnel of those two teams outside of the quarterback position for that for the 2000s decade. Like, I don't. I think they would. He won ten Super Bowls. Wow. Hot, 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 hot. Uh, wow. A hot take. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, you put you got you've got you know this people might forget about this, but you've got you've got the, arguably the greatest middle linebacker of all time, arguably the greatest free safety of all time. You've got. Terrell Suggs is probably a Hall of Famer. You've got Haloti Nada, who's a perennial pro bowler. You've got Chris McAllister. Um, you've got the one top three left tackle in NFL history in, in, in uh, Jonathan Ogden. A Hall you've of Fame tight end. Rusher. Yeah, uh, uh, you've got a Hall of Fame tight end, plus his backup, Todd Heap, was a perennial pro bowler, a 2,000-yard rusher. Um, you don't think Tom Brady would have won? I, I, I think he would have won 10 Super Bowls. I don't think that's crazy. <laughs> he won six with the guys they had in New England. I <laughs> know. <laughs> He just blew my mind there. He blew he, he blows my mind with that because you add Tom Brady to that, 10 guys, 10 guys that, that are Pro Bowl and, and Hall of Famers for 10 Super Bowls. I, he blows your mind with that thought process, and I don't think he's wrong. No, I, I don't either. I mean, we've had this conversation before was – is Brady because of Belichick is Belichick because of Brady. I think they're both equally good. And I think Tom Brady in this organization with that kind of defense that we had early on in those 2000 years and really throughout the entire time that Tom Brady's been here. I mean, we had a couple of down years as far as defense goes, but very few and far in between. Uh, and, you know, we've had this conversation before. What kind of weapons has Tom Brady really had around him? Or has he kind of made these weapons better because he is Tom Brady? I mean, he did have Randy Moss at one point. He did have, obviously, Rob Gronkowski, one of the better tight ends. Uh, you know, Wes Welker, but was Wes Welker really that good without Tom Brady uh, and Peyton Manning? Because that's where he flourished in his career. Same thing with Julian Edelman. Does he have that kind of career without him? So you put him in an organization like this with this kind of defense for that long, and I don't think he's that far off base, man. Ten, ten Super Bowls would have been pretty sweet. And actually, <laughs> yeah. there were rumors back then of the Ravens potentially interested in Tom Brady during that draft. Yeah, they, they, they were, and part of that was because Bill Belichick, they knew Bill Belichick was interested in him, right? right. And so that that was part of, of the allure and what you knew was going to become, uh, you know, or not that you knew that it was going to become, but the Patriots organization never shied away from things like that. They never shied right. away from being open of what they were what they were looking for. And still, to this day, they do that, and nobody catches on on half these things. And you right. get all these guys that they pick up that look like genius moves. They were showing their hand the whole time. Yeah, they always have. To Justin's point, he says, shit, we are a few plays away from a dynasty with what we had. Add Brady to that? Jesus. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't agree with him any more than that. You know, we obviously we had the likes during that stretch. Trent Dilfer won us a Super Bowl. We had those down years with Kyle Bowler. Erase them, put in Tom Brady. This whole organization is totally different. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a Joe Flacco hater, but I'll take not a Tom Joe Flacco Brady. lover either. <laughs> no, I'm not a Joe Flacco lover either, but I'll take Tom Brady 10 out of 10 times over Joe Flacco. Agreed. And that's even with as great as Joe was in the postseason. Like they talk about Joe Flacco. I got into a, a discussion with somebody on Twitter earlier about this today. Talk about Joe Flacco. And, you know, the big question about him and the funny debate was, was he ever elite? He was elite in the playoffs, right? He was elite when it counted the most. It was just 
everything in between was the ups and downs that we saw right yeah. january joe there was no there was no doubting his ability <laughs> yeah, no. he went on one of the most historic runs as a quarterback that year yeah. we won the super bowl yeah so that brings me up to my next point right speaking of flacco <laughs> i heard the this, same thing i knew you were gonna i knew you were gonna tie this in so i had actually said something about this about a little over a year ago it was just uh, around this time of year last year it was like february of last year yeah i said a guy that you want to keep an eye on is his brother tom flacco and what he's doing down at towson right this is a guy especially after you've made the commitment this is prior to drafting um mcsorley right and going down that route was obviously i told you before you couldn't the 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 mesh difference between having the style difference between having Lamar and having Joe, right? They're two polar opposite quarterbacks that run two polar opposite. If offenses. one of them gets hurt, the other one can't, it's not plug and play. It's a totally different offense. Yeah. Exactly. So you have to have a, a quarterback with similar skill set, And I do think RG three is eventually going to get an opportunity elsewhere. Um, and again, this was prior to the conversation or us drafting McSorley, but Tom Flacco down in Towson, has been doing great things. He's much a much better athlete, overall yeah. athlete than his brother Joe. Uh, I mean, this guy's got the ability to run the same a similar offense to Lamar. He makes plays with his feet. Uh, he's got a, he's got good accuracy. Throws a good ball. Uh, DaCosta actually said in an interview that he has all the tools that NFL teams are looking for. Yeah, and he could see Tom Flacco going in the late rounds with just his grit his IQ and his accurate passing. Right. I mean, what he's been able to do, what he's been able to do for the Tigers, it's it's impressive for somebody at, at a I'm not saying that the Tigers are and Towson is a lower level, but let's be real, they are, right? So what he's been able to do at that level has has caught the eyes of people at that level. So what does that do? That starts to catch the eyes. Where do a lot of these guys from some of these smaller schools, quote unquote smaller schools, and Towson is a smaller school where do these guys start going? They start going in the later rounds, the fifth, yeah. the sixth, the seventh round, and mainly probably the sixth and the seventh. But he brought that up, and he really could see him going. I I really think with what we've heard, I could really see Flacco going in the sixth or seventh round, no problem. I do not see him going to the undrafted board. And if, so, and if somehow he makes it to the undrafted board, somebody's going to scoop him up right away. Yeah, I don't. I don't see the Ravens taking a while, you know, a flyer on him. Obviously, people are going to ask him the questions and stuff because he's got the ties to Joe and all yeah. that, being his brother and everything. I just think that he has a similar skill set that if you were looking for a backup quarterback and you were going to draft one in the late rounds or potentially get one undrafted, this is a guy. Forget Joe for a second. That just skill set wise, he fits this offense, and I think he'd be a good backup option or at least get a good opportunity to see how he fits and how he makes it out, you know, at the next level throwing an NFL football. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. I just don't know, you know, you, you've got to see if you if you go that route, that tells me immediately Trace McSorley and him would fight it out and you're looking to potentially, I don't want to say dump RG3, but I'm saying that you're going to, you're, you're willing to take and take that on to then push an RG3 out for something Joe, else further joe's chiming in saying we're a smart organization don't draft quarterbacks two years in a row nobody's saying draft them 
I'm just bringing him up because his name is Flacco, and I'm talking about his skill set and how he would fit in this type of offense that I was saying a year ago before we drafted McSorley would have made sense. His skill set would be similar to Lamar's well, that he could run this kind of offense if we didn't have McSorley. We've already, we've, already dis, we've already disproved that statement as well because they did draft two quarterbacks two years in a row. They drafted yeah. Lamar, and then they turned around and drafted Trace McSorley. But Trace McSorley wow. was a late-round pickup Touché. with a value. So right. it, you, three years in a row, yeah, that's probably pushing it. But if you evolve McSorley to the point that, you know what, he could be your serviceable you know, you could still carry three, right, and be able to have, be able to save, uh, you know, a drafted guy. It, it could work out. Do I want it to work out that way? Absolutely not. I think it would be, you know, that draft pick would be better utilized elsewhere. Um, but at the same time, the fact that DaCosta is saying, you know, look, he's got all the teams that an NFL team looks for, especially now, that it shows you that he's been on DaCosta's radar at some right. point. Right. He's came across his desk, so to speak. So I, I'm really Courtney, curious to Courtney see what brings happens. up a good question on uh, on YouTube. He says, I like Trace over RG three. And this is something that I'm starting to kind of wrap my mind around a little bit, too, over the last couple of months. I really think RG three was legit just an insurance policy for the first two years of Lamar's career. One, so that Lamar can learn everything that he needs to learn from RG three from what, what not don't to do <laughs> not to do exactly what not to do. Uh, and I think he's done that. And I, I think RG3 eventually will get another shot as a starter somewhere. It might take, uh, you know, a catastrophic, you know, catastrophe, like type of injury type of thing, a catastrophic in injury to somebody. Um, so we could see him get dealt around the trade deadline or somewhere before the trade deadline if somebody's in need for a quarterback. Uh they didn't draft McSorley and then keep him on the roster for no reason. And this Ravens organization historically has never carried three quarterbacks. Like last year was one of the first years that yeah. they've done that. Um, they didn't activate McSorley much at all. I think he only got in. We talked about that it a couple last, weeks ago for one yeah. play, right? Yeah. Uh, so we'll probably see McSorley a little bit more. Not a big Penn State guy. You all know that we're all Terps fans here, but I did like what I saw out of McSorley those couple of weeks, at least in that preseason and in training camp. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to have to see what happens with him because he's he needs to show development. There's some things that we know that he needed to work on. Uh, we also anticipated a completely different role for him. I did read an article that said they, they may have a little bit different role for him depending on how things work out um, this season. But I think you, you brought up the great point with um, with RG3. You know, if somebody goes down, RG3 it could be a starter for somebody today. 100% agree. In the NFL. So, with, with what's there. So Something else I got to bring up, completely unrelated, <laughs> other than it's our quarterback. <laughs> Did you see the picture that was going around on social media of Lamar? Oh, you mean the one that everybody thought was fake at first? Because yeah. it just looked like it looked like the the original first picture looked like a damn stamp on his chest. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen the picture yet, uh, go on Instagram, go on Twitter. Lamar's got some new ink uh, that goes across his chest. It's his, uh, they, it's his entire chest. Yeah, goes across his entire chest. Faith, family, love, uh, trust. trust, which obviously he spells with two Zs, not two Ss, like Mark's, uh, I guess, shirts and merchandise yeah. that he was doing was spelled. So uh, Mark actually cleared that up in an interview that he did today with the media. They were bringing it up, and they were asking him about that. And he said, yeah, look, Lamar is the trendsetter. If he says it's two Zs, it's two Zs. That's what it is. At the end of the day, it's trust. We all know what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
But uh, what were your thoughts when you saw the tattoo? A lot of people were obviously uh, saying that it was Raven Wings in the background and whatnot. Do you think that really was Raven Wings, or or do you think people are stretching? Here's the thing. The whole purpose behind that was Faith Family Football, right? Right. He's got the the Faith is the Wings, right? The, The family is his name and his mother's name. And the trust being is is his family, right? So there's a trust, which is the the nod, I think, to last year and the family, the Ravens family that he built. I do think there is a nod to the Ravens organization in that tattoo with those wings being purple. I think that is See, a complete... were they purple? Because in the picture that I saw, it looked more blue to me than it did purple. Depending on depending on what you're looking at, how you're looking at it, on on a pink vented skin on African-American skin, that's that color is going to come out differently. Okay. Right. So I didn't get into the science of this guy. <laughs> I, I, I like tattoos. I look at them all right. You know, it's not going to come out the same. It's going to be a little bit different. It is going to be a, a, a little bit deeper of a color or, or blue of a color. But I think I personally do think it was when everything else in there, except for the football is, is a little black, white, gray, type setup i think it makes sense uh justin hit it on the head it was the chinese jersey purple you ever seen those chinese jerseys (laughs) that are like blue and not pro man that couldn't be a better comparison 100 percent agree with you to be more specific it's it's the chinese to be more specific it's the chinese color rush jersey yeah right (laughs) (laughs) to his point here we are i mean this is how slow the sports world is right we're all talking about lamar's tattoo last thing i'm gonna say on it is he should have picked a better artist I thought that I thought it looked like shit. That's just my opinion on it. I you know I don't have any qualms about him getting the work done and what he put on there and all. I just thought he could have picked a better artist, but that's that's my opinion. This is his body. It's his temple. He wants to do what he wants with it. I yeah. got no problems with what the Lamar does. I yeah, I think I think it could have turned out. There are parts of it that I think could have turned out a, bit, a little bit better. The parts of it I thought w- was good, but parts of it I think could have been that a little bit better. Terrible. But uh, hey, before we kind of move on. The one other thing as far as, you know, that, that trust, we brought up Mark Ingram and the Ravens family, right? Yeah. So he did an interview, and they only showed, there's only a clip of it on uh, on the Raven, the Ravens Facebook and Instagram and, and the website and everything. But Ingram had some some strong words, and I just kind of wanted to talk about him for a second. And I, when I say strong, they're strong in a good way. Take a listen. Everybody <laughs> just accepted me, man, and they made the transition easy and seamless for me. So, um <laughs> I don't know if I was meant to be a Raven my first eight years, but I'm damn sure meant to be a Raven right now, and I'm happy to be a Raven. And that goes back to exactly everything that we said last year. I mean, from day one, this dude fit in. Yeah. He took over that leadership role because obviously we we talked about it. Who the hell was gonna was gonna replace all the losses of the leadership in that locker room that we had? Right. Uh, when that defense was basically gutted, and man, he stepped in and filled in seamlessly. Yeah, not, I mean, not a problem. Became right a part of the family. And now you know why, right? He, the first part of that tells me everything I need to know. He's like, they made it easy for me. They, everyone accepted me. Everybody said, this is a part that we need and we want, and we want you to be a part of it. And he accepted that. And that's what, when he, when you walk into something, right? If you walk into a new job, right? You and I have both been through this over the past year, right? You walk into a new job. If you're not accepted right away, it kind of makes it a little awkward, right? If you're accepted yeah. right away, it's one of those things. All right, this this feels it feels like family, right? These you can you can immediately talk to certain people and get along with certain people. You you know and you have that feeling. And when it's everybody, 
it really just solidifies that you made that right decision, that right choice. And for him, that's exactly what this did. Well, I mean, when you look at it simply, right, when he was looking at this opportunity as a free agent, in his entire career when he was in New Orleans, he was never the bell cow back. You know, they always shared load, and, and you know, he was never the the – number one RB one on that team. Right. He was typically exactly. like an RB one B or RB two. It was always team. a split carries. Exactly. Right. And when you're talking about a Drew Brees led offense, that's a pass dominant offense, right? Looking at the Ravens from the outside coming in last year, you've got this young, fresh quarterback who just went on a hell of a run to start his career at the end of his first season. You know that this is going to be a run centric first offense Who's going to take my job? Some undrafted guy by the name of Gus Edwards, who, yeah, he had a couple of, you know, he obviously has had a couple of good years. But if you're Mark Ingram, you don't know a whole lot about Gus Edwards. You're thinking, holy shit, I might be able to rush for 2,000 yards in this offense, especially if they're going to be running the ball as much as they, you know, as they say they are. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to pay me. Yeah. Win win. Yeah. It's a win for everybody in that situation. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the one last thing that I know that you wanted to bring up was uh, fi- despite everything that happened, with his knee, Skura signs that unrestricted free agent tender. Yeah, so that means that there wasn't a whole lot of interest from the outside. This is another value deal for the for the Ravens getting Matt Skura back under contract for one year at $2.1 million is about roughly where it's going to be. This adds, obviously, some flexibility on the offensive line, but it's going to come down to his injury status. How fast can he recover? You know, he tore every CL in his knee possible. <laughs> yeah, right. ACL, MCL, PCL, that's why we everything. thought That's why we thought it was a, it was a complete career-ending injury for him. Right, and, I mean, there's still questions about how he's going to be able to really leverage weight on that knee, but all the workout videos that he's been posting, everything that his agent's been saying has all been positive. Now, granted, that's his job as his agent to say all the positive things, but... He's got the work ethic. You know, he's been on the show before. We've talked to him. We like this kid's attitude. Uh, you know, he for being an undrafted free agent, right? Think of that, right? Mark, Matt Skura was an undrafted free agent. To have the impact that he's had on this team, who's a starter for, you know, an entire year. I think he started like 30-some games so far in his career with yeah. us. This, this is a guy that you want to keep in the fold. You just hope for the best as far as his injury status goes. Yeah, I'm hoping that that winds up working out for everybody, him and us. <laughs> right. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's Liquor Stop Brew of the Week. I am not there, so what are you drinking on today? So it, I'm drinking on this this Yeti cooler, uh, and I, I have to put it in a Yeti cooler because if I don't, this is what happens. You can see this lovely can. Another optical illusion. <laughs> it's an optical illusion. So this uh, this comes from... Inverness Brewing, Inverness Brewing Company, which is out of Moncton, Maryland, um, so not far for us. Uh, this is their Breezen Session IPA. Now, the big thing about uh, Inverness is that it's all it's all farm to, to keg is the way that they described it, right? Or crop okay. to keg, right? It, it is all farm brewed. It, they tell you to to store it cold, drink it fresh, and this honestly for for an IPA, it's only four and a half. So when I say IPA, most people think six, seven, you know, I got to ask that you, mark. four and a half percent because it's so it's so mild as far as alcohol content. It better be a damn good tasting beer. So the taste is there. The taste is okay. there. You get a little bit of bite on the end of it. Um, trying to think of like the easiest. It, it, you get the hot bite on the end and it's it's easy to say, but it's not easy to describe um, because it's not quite the hop 
the normal hot butt you get on an, an average IPA, right? But yeah. it's a little bit lighter, kind of like a, a, a light beer, you know, taste, if that makes sense. But okay. the, the bite at the end. So when I when I first drink it, kind of tastes, you know, starts to taste like a little bit like, a, you know, a Bud Light or a Coors Light. And then you get the hops coming in on, on your tongue and it really starts to to give that bite and really has a nice full flavor at the end. So for four and a half, I think this is actually a pretty good IPA. You know, not quite. Nice. Ch- I don't. I don't feel like I was going to be able to chug it like I could the one last week. Uh, but I definitely could sit here and, and drink a few of these without a problem. Well, I tell you what, I did have to go to a liquor stop the other day. Had to restock my stash because I was running low. <laughs> Hashtag quarantine problems, right? That's how this <laughs> kind of thing is right now. Uh, they're still doing their curbside pickup. So if you're not comfortable going into the store, they will bring it out to you. Still got their staff running around the store, making sure they're sanitizing the doors down and making sure that they're doing everything to keep clean. So make sure you go by Liquor Stop for all your liquor needs. Tell them Birdland BS sent you. Get your 10% off. All right, Scott. So we're going to talk a little nostalgia in this next segment right as you can see we got mount rushmore up here uh, at the top of the board and heck i thought i saw this on facebook and i thought this would make for a pretty interesting debate i kind of wanted to see where your mind was at so i'm going to actually let you go first on this i want to get your take if you were to pick four athletes right your mount rushmore of maryland athletes and you can go as heavy with one sport as you want or you could spread it out however you choose the four your four most impactful athletes to ever have ties to maryland sports whether that's colts related terps related ravens related orioles related olympics related whatever it may be who are your four athletes that you're putting on Mount Rushmore for Maryland sports and why? So this, when we talked about doing this, this took a lot of thought, right? Because where it stemmed from was that that picture that we had seen on Facebook. We all saw it go around. Like I had like 10 people. Some people I didn't even think should be on there. Some people were on there or I didn't think were on there. that should have been. Um, you know, when I look at, at Everything is a picture, right? I'm a baseball guy, so let me start there, right? And let yeah. me start with my most vivid memories with Cal Ripken, right? Yeah. What what he was able to do, not just here in Baltimore with the streak and everything, but, you know, he single-handedly, in my opinion, saved baseball. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Let's not, let's, not forget, let's not forget that 94 strike that he, he literally brought back from the brink because of the fact that they did not want to miss the streak and ruin the streak because they knew it was the best thing for baseball at the time between the streak and the home run chase that Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire had going on at the time. Those two things single-handedly saved baseball and put them back on the map. Yeah. Um, Kind of moving over to the Ravens and football. I I think Ray, there's no doubt in what Ray has meant to the city. Um, The impact that he's had, the, the emotional impact, the, you know, the financial impact, right, with the Ravens and what he's been able to bring um, and the on the field, the off the field, just everything about both of those guys has been community based. It's been there. Um, so I, I really think both those guys immediately stand out to me. Uh, do you have would you, would you agree on those two guys? Or I'm those not going to argue list? you at all. Uh, both of those guys would be on my Mount Rushmore. So we're two for two so far. All right. All right. So let me go to my third person. Right. Okay. My third person is, again, a baseball person. 
Okay. And while I never got to see him play, I hear all the stories and I see even to this day, even grow even during us growing up, you saw it, you heard it. Brooksy. Okay. The Fair. human vacuum cleaner at third base. He's known he around third the world. Of all time. No yeah. argument out of me. Yeah. He is he is he is one of the most genuine people you will ever meet. I did get the chance to meet him once. Cool, cool situation, cool, cool uh, you know, time and memory. Yeah. And he continues to do it, even despite all the medical issues that this man has had. What did they turn around and do last year? They make him part of the community, the community group for the Orioles. He yeah, represents the Orioles in the community. The front office. I thought that was great. Yeah. So for me, he he's on. He has got to be on my Mount Rushmore. I know I've got two baseball guys, and that's me. You know, maybe being baseball biased, but I, I kind of figured you would go that way just because you kind of lean baseball a little bit more than some of the other sports. But I'm not going to argue with any of these guys. I mean, I've seen some people already chiming in with some names that I can't really argue anything. And I think, like I said, Brooks Robinson's one of the greatest third basemen of all time, if not the greatest third baseman of all time yeah. so who's your who's your fourth round out your final four so my final four uh is a guy that arguably i'm not even gonna say argue it's not even an argument to me this man is the greatest olympiad of all time okay and that's michael phelps right as as much as we know he's Honor. had some some off the field issues this man was in four separate olympics yep. from 2000 to 2016 Competed in, I think it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was 40, I know he has 46, 47, 48, 49, it's 50 events total across those four years. Right. And he didn't medal in two. Right. Yeah, the dude two. had what, 23 golds and like 23 silvers or something. It was pretty easy yeah. across the board. But He has a 96% I mean, medal rate. Are you kidding me? Right. It's unreal. He's he's absolutely in my three. So So we've got three out of the four. Okay. I 100% agree with you on Michael Phelps for all the reasons that you mentioned. Ray Lewis, I mean, he's the epitome of what the Ravens' identity is as an organization, right? He's the epitome of of, of us being a defensive-oriented oriented team. He cool. started in his first year as an, in 96 and had a hell of a career and capped that career off with his second Super Bowl. It doesn't right. start or end any better. I mean, 17 years, you talk about that. Talk about his numbers for a second, which is we're going to break down these guys since that we agreed on. Yeah. Ray... 1568 career solo tackles. That's the most of all time. Yep. 2059 combined tackles. Most of all time. Right. Right. Then let's look at his accolades throughout the year. 2000 offensive player or AP defensive player of the year. 2003 mm -hmm. AP defensive player of the year. Again, two time Super Bowl champ, 13 time Pro Bowler, right. seven time All Pro, and obviously he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. The dude is a lock for any, I would think most people's. Uh, Mount Rushmore of Baltimore sports. The only guy I think that we're kind of shortchanging on this list uh, that didn't make my list, didn't make your list is obviously Johnny U. And I've got all the respect in the world yeah. for Johnny U. The only reason I didn't put him on there on my list is because I am a fan of so many sports in Maryland, right? And I didn't feel like it was do due diligence if I put one sport heavier than the other, like you went with two baseball guys. Fair enough. I'm not blaming you for that. That's just the way that you went with it because that's that's how you see it fit. Right. So I went with one from every sport. So I've got football for me is Ray Lewis. And it's probably because I grew up in the generation that I grew up in. Right. Baseball for me is Cal Ripken. Right. 
We talked about overall athlete, the Olympian that is Michael Phelps. Yeah. One sport that we haven't mentioned yet, and this was a guy before my time, but when you compare this guy and anybody that's ever watched him play, or if you hear anybody talk about the way that this guy played, they compare him or say that he was even better than Michael Jordan, and that's Len Bias. Ah. Len Bias, maybe he didn't have the professional career, obviously because, you know, the untimely death and the drug abuse. But what he was able to do at the University of Maryland, and when you compare him athlete to somebody that's one of the greatest athletes of all time, not just basketball players. Michael Jordan, they compare as one of the greatest athletes of all time. This guy, yeah, and a great it might have been a little bit of a media circle, but media circus, but he did leave basketball and still played professional baseball for the Chicago White Sox. So it wasn't just his limitation wasn't just basketball. The dude was a damn amazing athlete. Right. For me. I got to get a Maryland guy in there, and it's got to be Len Bias. Nobody represents that university. Nobody no, more proud than Len Bias. It's funny opinion. that you that you brought up Len just because, you know, right before the show, you know, we saw that you, you mentioned it, that Lox was live on Instagram. And yeah. who's sitting behind him but a picture of the one Len, Len Bias. Bias. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see that. I, I definitely get that. I, I can see exactly where your thought process is with that. And I think you're you're spot on with being able to say, you know, if you're going to take somebody from each sport, I think that definitely plays a huge role. I and just, I mean, another guy you could have taken from the Maryland is, is obviously the career that Juan Dixon had. Justin, yeah. Or I think it was Joe. No, it was Joe. Joe actually brought that up. Juan Dixon, uh, you know, a guy that had a great career at University of Maryland. And Obviously, in the generation that I grew up in, that's that was like right in the thick of what I watched. So I watched his entire career, and he was a great athlete. But they don't talk about Juan Dixon and Michael Jordan in the same breath, but they do talk about Len Bias and Michael Jordan right. in the same breath. I got to ask you, because you're sitting there looking at the chat, has anybody brought up the name of No-No? No-No. The one that I said I'd go off if somebody brought it up because it's just too damn early. You know what? No. I, Thank I had God. You We love you guys. Thank you. We weren't going to bring him up. <laughs> Nobody did. I was prepared if somebody was going to say Lamar. I really was because it's it is honestly you and I both are in agreement on this. It is too damn early. And Ryan, I'm, I'm gonna. Ryan s- went way too far. Ryan says Fred's list: two drug users and a murderer. But it's my <laughs> list too. Ha ha. <laughs> Listen, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but no, like it, it's it's too damn early with Lamar. There it is. God damn it, Joe. What Joe said Lamar. He said it just because I said it. Just to get a reaction. He likes to hear his name on the air. Damn you, Joe. Damn you, Carlo, Joe. Though. <laughs> I figure somebody might chime in with Lamar. We had it on the list. I mean, listen, what he's doing right now, could he eventually be on that Mount Rushmore? 100%. You're, he just needs to keep going in the direction he's going. I was going to say, you're going to hate me for this. But I'm just saying, he's, he had a great year last year. What if this year, what if he has career-ending injury. He's not going Don't on Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> I'm not trying to. Not trying to. I don't ever want to hear you say that again. I'm knocking on wood. Okay? I'm editing this out of the podcast. <laughs> but I don't I'm, ever want to hear you say that again. I'm just I'm trying to make a point, right? That no. it, It's too damn early. Yeah, it's it's too early. damn early for that. But I do, I do want to put three more names out there that we just have to mention because some people could say him, and we, you and I, when we kind of talked about this, we talked, we knew pre-show who we thought we were going with. We didn't yeah. nail it down till till just now, but some names that we were both bouncing around. 
One of the names that I bounced around was Jim Palmer. Yeah. One of the greatest pitchers of all time. Definitely the greatest Orioles pitcher of all time. Yeah. I mean, this guy won, I mean, gold gloves, all-star, Cy Youngs. He's a Hall of Famer. I mean, this guy had all the career numbers that you could possibly want. 19 years, all with the Orioles, right? Yeah. Two-time ERA title, three-time World Series, four-time gold glove, six-time All-Star, three-time Cy Young, right? And he's a Hall of Famer, 36th in career wins all-time in the MLB. He leads the O's in games, wins, innings pitch, strikeouts, complete games, and shutouts. Tell me that's not one of the greatest Orioles, that it's not the greatest Oriole pitcher of all time. As much as sometimes we... You're much of the the more baseball guy. I'm going to go football, right? So my other guy that is obviously an honorable mention, and you can swap him in and out with pretty much anybody on my list, is Ed Reed. You know what I mean? The career, we talked about Johnny U. I gave Johnny U his respect, and I think that he could be on this list very easily. But but Ed Reed, when when you ask the question, the greatest Raven of all time, man, that's tough. That's tough yeah. because it's, it's right there with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, in my opinion. And I can listen to arguments for both players and think that you're absolutely right and wouldn't hate on either decision there. Ed Reed, the impact that he had on this team in his 10 years that he was here in Baltimore, I mean, nobody had that kind of an impact uh, on a defense. And, I mean, I don't think any other player got the kind of respect that Ed Reed got. I mean, from, you know, from other players, from, you know, like when you talk about Tom Brady, right. Tom Brady feared Ed Reed. Bill Belichick yeah. feared They, they Ed game Reed. planned around him. He was exactly. He was the only one during that whole, that whole, uh, the 100 greatest players that Bill Belichick said, you were the one, you were the one single guy I never wanted to face ever. Right. Exactly. And that's, exactly. that's ultimate respect coming from the ultimate guy. And Justin, you hit on the very last name that we were going to name, Frank Robinson. And really the only reason I'm going to say that I didn't put him on my Mount Rushmore and I wouldn't put him on my Mount Rushmore because of all the other names that we named is because his career was kind of short in Baltimore. He was only here for six out of his 21 years uh, that he played. Uh, But, I mean, the the career numbers this guy put up, he was fourth all-time in home runs when he retired. I think he's like 10th now. And he was 14 shy of 600. Exactly. And he was only 57 hits shy of 3000. So, I mean, this guy was at every career marker that you would want to be at. He was just under 300 as far as a career batting average goes. I mean, he's he's absolutely an all time great, obviously a Hall of Famer. Uh, but the only reason I don't have him on my Mount Rushmore is because there are so many options. Right. And, yeah. and you can only put four up there. But uh, Frank is absolutely well, an honorable mention. And three, three of the four. Right. So on my, on mine and on yours, two of the four played their entire careers. One team. Yeah. Right. If you want to include Len Bias in that, because he never technically made it to the NBA, he played for, you know, he played for Maryland, didn't transfer. I get that. Right. Michael Phelps represented the U S and everything. He represented Maryland in state trials and everything and, and getting there. So, you know, Everything is there. These are these are lifer guys, and that would be my one knock on Frank Robinson while he was there. Frank Robinson is known for his career in Cincinnati. I think it was what thirteen years in, in Cincinnati. He was he was a lifetime like three. I don't. I, I'd have to go back and look. It was either three thirty one or three eighty one hitter in Cincinnati. 
Wow, I did not know that. So I knew it was like a 294, 295 hitter career-wise. Career-wise, he know. was. The first portion of his of his career, he he like blew it out of the water. I'm I'm 90% sure it was it was a he was like a 3, maybe it was a 331. I, and then he was a, like a 301 hitter in Baltimore. Um wow. so which is why people throw his name up there, but he actually had better n- career numbers in Cincinnati. So wow. that would be the one reason I think you know you look at both of both of ours and it's these are career guys for us you know when it comes when it comes down to it so I think it's it's definitely an interesting take for us and and we'd be curious if you guys have any anything else out there you know let us know let's uh Fred let's jump into the social media shout out I know you've been kind of sharing some stuff yeah so I'll go through real quick obviously a lot of the staples that are here every week Justin I see you Jason Wallace man good to see you back in the chat room hadn't seen you in a while hope you're staying safe hope everybody's staying healthy. Uh, James, as always. Uh, who else do we got in here? Joe Carlozo, as always. Giving Way me to a pronounce bunch of crap, that last name. Giving you a bunch of crap. Ryan. Um, let's see. Who else do we got? Josh. Appreciate seeing you. Haven't seen you in the chat room in a little while. Good to see you. Let me flip through here a little bit more. We got the usuals chatting it up. Nick Short. Good to see you, buddy. Courtney, I mentioned you earlier. Appreciate you stopping through. Uh, let's see. Who else do we got? That's about it for right now that I can see in here. It looks like okay. all the usual suspects, as always. Sang, I see you on YouTube. Uh, Garnett, I saw you earlier on in the stream. Jess, I know you're tuned in. Brian, you're there. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in again. Thank you for the support, and thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Any good week. questions or comments out there outside of the names that we were, we were talking about? Anything now, previous? I mean, we kind of worked in a few comments okay. along the way, uh, but if you do... Uh, have any other questions? Let's see. Let's see. Jason, he said, Juan, who definitely not the best basketball player to not on Mount Beemore. Dunbar basketball team had all five and a six man. That's very true. That Dunbar yeah. team was absolutely nasty. That was uh, Bugsy Bogues days, yeah. I think. Get drafted in the first round. Sad. Nobody mentioned Reggie Lewis. Yeah, Reggie Lewis. Uh, it's a good name, too. Unfortunately, he passed as well uh, way too early in his NBA career. But uh, Mount Rushmore of Maryland sports. I don't know if I'm putting Reggie Lewis on there, but no. man, that Dunbar team was absolutely nasty. <laughs> not, not bad at all. All right, Scott, it's time for some bros, bows, and O's. Kind of sticking with a similar theme here of this like nostalgia and a trip back through time. I knew you would get all giddy <laughs> for this section here, being that you are the the bigger, I guess, baseball guy than you are football. Um <laughs> We had some news, though. You know, it's 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 not just about you know as far as what, us kind of going down this road about our memories with the Orioles that we talked about. We're going to talk about later. But it fits uh, right two, in. <laughs> yeah, two retirements, uh, two under the radar guys uh, that I thought had pretty big impacts here in Baltimore in their time here. We'll start with the first one that we heard earlier on the week on Thursday of last week. It was Mark Reynolds, the yeah. sheriff. Besides the hang it up, man, after 13 years in the in the baseball. Yeah, uh, the, sh- the, the sheriff is gone and all that's left is the goddamn deputy that we can't get rid of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Somebody they, they, shoot the deputy. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, don't shoot the deputy. No. Uh, but no, yeah, I mean, what? Reynolds had a 13-year career. Yeah. Eight different teams, right, that he played for. He played two with the Orioles in 2011 and 2012. His numbers as a whole, they don't blow you away. He was a career 236 hitter, right? Which yeah. is why he why he he's never retiring. a uh, high average hitter. Dude no. was a boomer bust guy. He he hit 221 both years he was here. Yeah. So I mean what 
what do you expect? It wasn't it wasn't the greatest thing in the world. He hit 29 home runs, you know, on average, had 84 RBIs, not what you want out of what you're expecting to potentially be a, you know, a power guy. That's what he was expected to be. Was he was expected to have some pop. Um, you know, didn't have the speed, but was had a solid glove at first base. Um, turns out that the deputy had a better glove at first base. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true, but you know, you, you mentioned Mark Reynolds, he was only here for a couple of years, right? I think what stands out to me about Mark Reynolds the most was one, obviously everybody liked this guy yeah. in the locker room and in the dugout. He's the one that started the whole sunflower seeds and people showering people with sunflower seeds. He was part of the transition from mediocre baseball to competitive baseball right that that 2012 year obviously they finished on a high in 2011 with the 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 curse of the ambino or the andino, andino game that yeah. ended that season for uh boston right then in 2012 they go on this magical run and he he was a big big part of that for me um and, and you know they they shifted him when manny came up you mentioned it playing first base he was our third baseman he was god awful at third base he was terrible <laughs> defensively as no. a third baseman they bring up manny they shift mark over to first base who mark hadn't really played first base much in his career at all but he was more than serviceable at first base i thought he did great i mean he had the the freaking magic toe over there that somehow <laughs> he always laid in the dirt he was always in the dirt for every throw that came over there but his toe stayed on the bag something somehow like a damn magnet he made manny look good is what you're saying that's what i'm hearing <laughs> <laughs> no, Manny had the talent to make himself look good, but uh, yeah, I, look, I like Mark Reynolds. I, you know, he was he was a guy that I was okay hitting 220 with because I knew that I was going to get 30, 35 bombs from this guy. He was going to connect and 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 you know hit well, a big hit at and, some point. And he also was, you know, he was a leader in that clubhouse. He would get excited. He he'd have fun. You know, he was right there with Adam when it came to having fun with that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying there. You know, he talked. Uh, you know, I know you were talking about it yesterday when we were kind of preparing for this. Is that you talked about when he was did the interview about one of his one of his memories that he. Yeah. He he set a set a tone when it came to home runs. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, when he hit the second deck. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, <was laughs> I know like, where you were going with that. I forgot about that already. Yeah, so he was he is and still is the only only the second player to hit the second deck in left field at Camden Yards. Obviously, the game. first one was Juan Gonzalez. Uh, you know, it, during the All Star break during that All Star game when it was here in Baltimore. Uh, and then Mark Reynolds was able to do it. Now, he did say in that interview that it was basically all the stars aligned. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like he did that on a regular basis and he was doing it in batting practice or anything. He said the wind was blowing out. The guy threw it right in my wheelhouse. And he said, and I knew before that pitch came, I was going to swing as hard as I possibly could. And literally all three of those stars aligned and the ball went into the second deck. But right. nobody else has been able to do it in a game. <laughs> So pretty impressive feat. I, I like Mark Reynolds. I like him as a person, uh, and I enjoyed his time when he was here. Yeah, I mean, I did like him. He was never he was never the stellar star, if you if you would you know put it that way. He was always that that average guy that just had the leadership role and, and could lead a team. Um, but talk about average guys that really made an impact. The other guy that retires, right? And I'm gonna read these read these real quick to me and tell me where you've heard them. Thirteen year career. Eight different teams. That's what we yeah, just said with Mark, office. right? So right. the difference is, is that he spent Steve Pierce spent four, four and a half total seasons 
with the O's. Yeah, he he kind of he was here for a couple years, left, came back. He had a couple stints with the Orioles. He's actually one of the only players that I ever knew or that I ever remember playing for every single team in the AL East. Yeah. Literally yeah. he's played with every single team in the AL East. Talk about giving away secrets, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But he's he was another guy, another clubhouse guy. He was that gritty, never quit, you know, always with a chip on his shoulder, looking for playing time. And he he maximized his time while he was here. I mean, he did obviously go on that amazing run uh, with the Red Sox in the World Series. He ended up winning the, the the MVP of the World Series back in 2000. Good for him, yeah. Red Sox uh, hit that, you know, big game tying or game game leading, I think, home game run. game leading, yeah. Yeah, he hit a couple home runs in that Dodgers series there in that in that World Series. So, well, uh, listen, he was the epitome of a grinder. He was the you know the 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 glue guy in the clubhouse, right. the guy that you want on your team. There and was he a was lot to like about Steve Pierce. He was that way because you know this is a guy that went in the tenth round, thought he thought he was a little bit better than that, and then put put his nose to the grindstone. Steve Pierce went to work on himself. Right. Yep. And even while he was here, he was working. You know, he was always working. He knew when to have fun. He knew knew when it when it was time to work and, and really laying that down. Right. The 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 game that, that comes to mind as far as showing his work was Clinchmas. Ah. When he yeah, hit two thousand fourteen, right? Right. When he hit three home runs. No, he hit the three run or the three run, run home run. Sorry. He hit the three run home run to 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 start the game there. Yep. Right. And to to take the lead early. Yep. So yeah. that he, he he was the epitome of a worker, man. He he was exactly what you want uh, in your clubhouse. I did lose a little respect for him because I watched an interview the other day that they did with him, and I don't know if he grew up this way or if he just spent a little bit too much time in Boston or enjoyed his time too much in Boston. But <laughs> apparently, he's a huge Patriots fan. So I lost a little respect for the guy there when I heard he was a Patriots fan. When he actually said he uh, he bought season tickets already. Uh, to the Buccaneers because he lives in Florida. He lives like five right. minutes from the Bucs stadium. He's right in Tampa, yeah. Uh, and he bought season tickets, obviously, because Tom Brady's down there. Like, that's his uh, allegiance <laughs> with, with Tom Brady and the, and the Patriots. Well, I mean, there. when you're when you're a, uh, you know, when you're a champion MVP, I mean, you got you to gotta be with other champion MVPs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty by association. That's is going a little to be bit of a do. stretch, but I guess. <laughs> it works, man. All right, so, but, right. So we talk about these guys, and it's bringing up memories of everything, right, that they've they've been through. So what I wanted to ask you, and we're both going to do this, is when you look back so far in your life, right, and this needs to be specifically things that you remember, right, vividly remember, not you, like, I'm not going to recall the 1983 World Series and Cal making that last catch. I wasn't alive, right? I was I, one. Shows your age. Uh, but... <laughs> I want you to, to look back. Give me your top three Orioles games. Not moments, necessarily. Well, I guess it can be moments. Moments or games in your life that you vividly remember. Top three Orioles, okay. Uh, the obvious for me is obviously going to be the most recent. Uh, it's going to be the Delman Young double. Just I okay. was there in the stadium. I have footage uh, from a friend of mine who took a shot of that whole situation happening with a GoPro. Uh, so it's going to be, I've got it captured for my, for, for the rest of my life. Uh, I've never felt Camden yards shake the way it yeah. did. And that energy 
wasn't just in the moment. It wasn't just that Delman double, man. That energy carried that through that entire game. I mean, the yeah. decibel levels. I remember watching the game afterwards. They were talking about the decibel levels and what it, you know, equated to to like inside a dome and whatnot. And this is an open stadium, you know, an open baseball stadium. Yeah. Uh, I felt that uh, being in that upper deck. I felt the upper deck shaking. One of the craziest moments. But I'll tell you the two two moments that stand out to me the most. Uh, one of which I think a lot a lot of people will have, but one of which probably not very many will. Uh, and that's that was the last game at Memorial Stadium. Uh, I was there for that as well. I was young. Don't get me wrong. This was in 91. Uh, so I was like nine. I was like nine at the time. Uh, but I was lucky enough to go to that entire last series there at Memorial Stadium. And that last game, I remember it like it was yesterday. There were so many things that stand out to me about the game. The game itself was the game. But the ceremonies afterwards, you know, they bring out – all the former players, all the legends, and all of them have baseballs in their hands, and they're all throwing balls into the stands, and Rick Demp Dempsey's running around amok being crazy and <laughs> being entertaining <Dempsey>. fans <laughs> like Rick Dempsey does, right? Um, but then, you know, they bring out this white limousine from the center field wall, and it comes around to home plate, and these guys – get out in these white suits and they got the music playing with it. It's almost like it's all like done like theatrically. Right. These guys get out and they dig home plate out legit ding home plate out, which mind you had like almost two feet of concrete. It's 18 inches deep. Yeah. Home plate. <laughs> they dig this thing out and they throw it in the back of the limousine and they start driving it towards Camden yards where Camden yards is going to be constructed, which at the time was literally just a dirt field. Uh, and they're they're driving it there to to put home plate in its new place. But on the way there, uh, anybody that watches the show or knows me personally, I have a very strong tie to uh, Field of Dreams. Uh, my father and I grew up watching that movie. It's my favorite movie. I can literally quote it from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, it's just got an emotional tie with me. They played the whole James Earl Jones, if you build it, they will come speech uh, that he does in that movie while they're driving that over to the new, you know, to the new stadium, to the new lot. Uh, it was just a really surreal moment. It was one of those moments, like, at a game, I can remember being a kid, like, didn't want it to end. and was so sad when it did. I don't think I understood, like, the fact that that stadium wasn't going to be in existence anymore. It was just the atmosphere of that game and the emotion. Right. I talked about Delman Young and how crazy high the emotions were. You could just feel the overall sadness. You could feel the yeah. overall sadness. The emotion. Of, of, uh, yeah, the emotion, the historic, you know, just everything about that day. But you could also feel the excitement for the new stadium and the new adventure it was. Nobody knew how iconic Camden Yards was going to be. I mean, when you look at Memorial Stadium now compared to what Camden Yards was, Memorial Stadium was a shithole. I mean, but people, that was that was their life, man. People made so many memories yeah. of that stadium. It's interesting that you brought that up, too, because of the fact that, you know, just just today, MLB put out a video it's like 10 minutes long. I, I watched it on a break, not during a conference call. Uh, <laughs> but I watched it, and it was, you know, the first five minutes are, you know, you had all these stadiums that were what they what they were calling was the brick donut hole multi-use stadium, right? Yeah. Like Camden Yard or like um, Memorial Stadium was. And then Camden Yards, the rest of the five minutes was then talking about 
the the change they they actually showed the last part of the last game at, at Memorial Stadium they showed the the first hit when Cam Yards isn't even built they saw they show the pitch and the guy hitting the uh, I forget who it was that hit the hit the bomb that would have landed out where the bullpen is now right, right. and it's it's just those those memories that that created it actually kind of stirred stir up made me think about it I don't have a whole lot of them personally I was really young. But I, I remember '92 when they went out there. I kind of that was kind of that gap where I started to remember things, um, and so I know that it was a whole ordeal there. But I remember my dad telling me the emotion that was there. My uncle, he's probably in the chat room. Dave Foster, if he's in there, he's probably I haven't seen him yet. <laughs> hey, hey, I was to say he'll he'll be chatting later on it or something, talking about you know he 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 tells me the story all the time about running down uh, behind the limousine they got and they wear the fence is right yeah. in left field now they had they had part of the fence there or they had a fence there he remembers going down and like climbing the fence and looking down and watching them put that in that home plate into the stadium yeah. right so it, it's got vivid memories for for a lot of people uh so i i can definitely see both those games that you mentioned so far so you got those two so then what's your last one I think the last one's going to be very similar for both of us i'm sure this is on your list it's got to be 21 31 uh, was that 1995, I think, was the yeah. year for that, right? It uh, That whole event, everything leading up to it, you know, the countdown with the numbers on the on the, uh, the warehouse, warehouse yeah. out there, uh, Cal doing Cal things, hitting home runs, and I think, like, what, three straight games? or If, if he didn't, it was definitely 21-30, he hit one, and 21-31, he hit one. Right. Um, yeah, I wasn't there for that game, uh, but I watched – every minute of it i can remember you know my not just me my family watching it uh we recorded it on a vhs tape and we re-watched it multiple times you know and chris berman doing the broadcast which i didn't really care for the espn broadcast i actually cared more for the hts broadcast <laughs> i think is what it was at the time the john time. miller the john miller and tom davis yeah yeah right exactly uh it was just obviously we all know what that day was and how historic it was. So those would be the three most vivid memories I have in Orioles history. Bring up HTS Home Team Sports. We are getting nostalgic. Jeez, yeah. man. <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah, twenty one thirty one. I talked about it what like two weeks ago with twenty one thirty one and 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 what that meant to me. And I've I've said it before with the story uh, of the guy passing me down and being in the first row. So you know I, I remember that very vividly. That's definitely. Um, that's probably my top moment. If I were to number them, that's number one for me, just because yeah. of all the memories that are there. Um, another one, you know, sticking kind of going reverse of you instead of going backwards, I'm going to go forwards. Um, from there, I got to say the other moment to me, and it's, it's, it's not an Orioles specific moment, but it is an Orioles and Camden Yards history moment. And that just simply is Griffey, who I uh, idolized. Right. As a child, I idolized him, wore my hat backwards. I had a Seattle hat. I will be the first one to admit I had a Seattle hat, and I always had it on. It was always backwards. I had one, too. I mean, you see me. I still, to this day, wear my hat backwards, right? right. And, and I, a lot of that came from Ken Griffey Jr. I yeah. wore 24 early on in my baseball days as well before switching to 27 but uh any kid yeah. that any kid that grew up you know in our in our day and age that, that you, you go out in the yard you play wiffle ball somebody was doing the griffey and it yeah. was me it was me i was always out there doing the doing the shimmy right i do my right-handed version of it the sweetest swing in the world uh but when he hit the warehouse and he's still that's why i think that plays a huge role for me now of why that's number two on my list um it is 
this man did something that in almost we're, we're getting ready to push 30 years here in two years that's 27 years ago right it was 93 or 94 something like that 93 i think 93 yeah nobody has done it again yeah. ever yeah only player to ever hit the warehouse in the air yeah so it, it, it's just crazy. especially when you think about the 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 home run era and everything that happened there just nobody's ever been able to do it again and so for me that that plays a huge role so um, all right you you name two good ones you've already heard my three then what the hell is your number one greatest memory so number one was my was my my cal right that was oh, well, I, I was saying going backward i was going i was going forwards in time um but for me the the one that rounds out my my top three and it's honestly inner it's probably comes in over number two I'll, I'll i'll rearrange that right now the more i think about it um it's got to be clinchmas oh really clinchmas okay. i was there um go ahead no i, I was gonna say I, I could absolutely see that that's a game that i'll never forget i wasn't there but i watched every second of it the it, joy that you get to see on the players' faces, specifically Dude. Nick Markakis. How long did he go through God. mediocrity and I, not winning? If I could zoom in the chills that I have, right? I get I get chills with Delman Young, so I, I I get that one. Yeah. But for me, talking about Nick and everything that he put into that and and being there, I at that time I was working uh, at a retailer where I had to be in to work at two thirty a.m. Oh, wow. Mind you, that was a night game. You must have just left straight from there and gone straight to work. <laughs> I went home. I pretty much went home, changed, took a cat nap, and left. Yeah. I napped for probably 20 minutes because we were there for an hour and a half, right? Joe Carloso in the chat group, you know, yeah, he, he was there with me. He stayed forever. Goosebump, 14 years of losing. Yeah, he's it, going right down the list. It, it was it was just the moment there. I have, you talked about having the, Go, you know, your buddy with GoPro with, with Dominic yeah. Young. I actually have my video. Um, it wasn't a GoPro. It was a different version of a GoPro. But I have that. And I have Adam Jones and Zach Britton and uh, um, Dylan Bundy running out there in the outfield, smacking all of our hands. And just the the party that was there. Like, I, I can't, it's getting more Jones and more chills. Going out and freaking pieing fans and stuff. They're throwing beer at fans. Tommy Hunter's fans. out there throwing beer <laughs> on fans. It was freaking great, man. It was like no holds bar. Whatever goes on, who cares? It's been that long. We're going to celebrate. It was did. it was just a giant party, and it will be something that I never will forget. Like, I went in that next day, and I didn't feel – I never hit a crash at work. Yeah. Because I was on, I rode that high so long because it had been been there for 14 years of losing baseball. Yeah. And to, to then be there that moment and see the emotion with some of these guys and you hit the nail on the head that started them. Nick Markakis. I, that, that moment, I think, sums up every yeah. Orioles fan's emotions at that moment. When they announced over the loudspeaker at the stadium, your 2014 AL East champions, that's what cued the smile from him. And I think every single Oriole fan that was watching that, if you didn't get a tear in your eye at that point, you're not human. No. It, do you know Do you know how long Nick Markakis was my back? Nick Markakis' smile was my background on my phone? Up until four years ago when my son was born. 
I can't say I blame you, man. It was uh, it was it was a really really good moment. That's a hard one for me to keep yeah. off my top three, but there have been so many, so it many has. over the years, even through the losing and everything. Uh, it's just well, you you brought up baseball. We got, we got two honorable mentions. I'll let you let you talk the uh, the the one that you, you probably it wasn't at Baltimore, but you, you remember it. But I'll go ahead and talk. Eddie Murray's five yeah, hundredth so, was big one, and the other yeah, one was so yours. I, I was there for that Eddie Murray's five hundredth home run. Home run wasn't a whole lot of fans in the stands that night. It was kind of a a shitty weather night, but it was still a really really cool and surreal moment when he hit the home run and yeah. all the confetti came down and whatnot. And obviously the flashing of gold of of the the jumbotron back then right. <laughs> and and just the history of what Eddie Murray is for this organization but i think for me you know you and i talk about this all the time we're both catchers right so growing up one of my idols and one of my players that i i loved growing up was chris hoyles he wasn't when you look at his statistics he wasn't one of the greatest orioles of all times or anything but he's what i focused on being a catcher right he's what i wanted to be the tractor mechanic all that stuff he was just a man's man right there's a lot to like about chris chris hoyles but I think one of the moments, again, in Orioles history that stands out to me was that night in Cleveland when he hit two grand slams in the yeah. same game. Uh, that's a night that I'll never forget. You know, it's, it's just you, to see a grand slam is so rare in its day. To hit two grand slams in the same game is super rare, but to have the same player hit two grand slams in that same game. I want to say that that physically has been done less than five times. Yeah, it has. I don't know exactly what the number is. Yeah. I think he was only the second player to ever yeah. do it at the time. I don't know how many have done it since then, but uh, that's a that's a night that I'll never forget. Yeah, I can't I can't 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 doubt you there. You had some random facts you wanted to share before we move on. Oh, uh, right. So, <laughs> random Oriole facts that kind of uh, popped up over the last couple of days that I looked at. I forgot all about this. So, I started looking at this year's payroll right 2020's payroll if we have a season i was looking at the numbers we have the lowest payroll going into this upcoming season out of all major league baseball teams at 46.3 million dollars total not surprised comparison <laughs> 2016 when we were kind of in the thick of things and we were signing players and trading for guys and all that stuff our payroll is 156 million. That's a third. That's a third of what it used Less to be. Less than a third. <laughs> four years ago, right? Less than a third. Four years ago. And what I find even more interesting about that, out of the 46.3 million, 21.1 of that, 45% is Chris fucking Davis. 45% <laughs> of our 46 million dollar salary is Chris Davis. We just paying the deputy. On top of that. <laughs> Alex Cobb, the guy that hasn't played a game in I don't know how long, $14 million. So between Chris Davis and Alex Cobb, that's over 60% of our payroll wow. in two players. Two wow. players. I don't want to 30, dive into it too much, but when you just look at this. $35 million. Wow. Right. Think of how small this payroll would be if you subtract two players from it. <laughs> I mean... Uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Even if absurd. you added a few, you'd be looking at less than twenty million. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's crazy. That's just right. crazy to see. So yeah, that's rebuild one hundred and one right there. If I've ever seen it. But uh, <laughs> the other thing I thought was kind of interesting. If you are on Twitter and you haven't noticed yet, or if you haven't followed him yet, I at least wanted to bring this up. Speaking of Cal and twenty one thirty one, he is now on Twitter. 
Make sure you follow Cal Ripken <laughs> at Cal Ripken Jr. on Twitter. Uh, maybe a little late, dollar short, but nonetheless, he's on there now. I feel like he should have just made it. <laughs> I'm finally here. That's yeah. what it's actually. <laughs> I'm finally here. This episode was not endorsed by Ripken or the Ripken family. Thank you. Oh, right. man. Uh, so, <laughs> obviously, man, this show has been just kind of a hodgepodge of us talking about nostalgia stuff and history and emotions and feelings and everything. Just because there's nothing else really going on in the sports world, especially locally. Not a ton going yeah, on. Yeah, not a ton kinda... going on. There's been some stuff that's been going on, like, it's been going on on in the world. But part of it, you know, I, I gotta, I, I'd be reminisced because we we spent, what, four weeks on it or three weeks on it. Um talking about the xfl right so this week the xfl on friday laid off most you know all of its staff except for a few execs and they completely suspended suspended operations um sources told espn there's no plan to return in 2020 um my question for you is there a paul stock no it's it's done this was any as much as i actually kind of enjoyed this venture, you know, this second round of the XFL compared to what the first XFL was, there's just not enough financial backing right now to support a second football league. This has been the same rodeo over and over again with different ventures, whether it's arena league, whether it's, you know, these, these NFL Europe's, whether it's the XFL now times two, every single one of them failed. Uh, now, obviously, this didn't fail because of I was, its own doing. It failed because of, of the virus. But they still weren't doing very well financially even prior to this. And this this one incident, this one incident killed it. Uh, it's sad because, like I said, I, I I actually did kind of enjoy this product. It felt uh, like it was gaining traction, too. And that's I guess that's where I was. You know, I look at it and I say, I, I think Corona, Corona killed the XFL this time around. Because it was gaining traction, it continued to gain momentum. Fans continued to be engaged, and in some cases, became even more engaged. But after you know the, the NFL season was over, those fans just kind of almost translated over. Um, right. You know, so I I think there was traction. I I really think if Corona doesn't hit, it, it, it's fine. You know, I think it was interesting that the the Darren Ravel um, on Twitter like commented and was like, um, you know, something about. In 20 or whatever year it was, they originally did it. They went like, I don't know, eight, eight games or something like that. And then this year he was like, oh, four games or six games, whatever it was. And the D.C. Defenders, I don't know if you saw this, but the D.C. Defenders right before they pulled it, they pulled back and completely. I don't want to say deleted the account, but deactivated the account. They basically said, and this is why no one listens to you. And then just left off. (laughs) <laughs> like, i was uh, like that's, that's a pretty it's a pretty nice dig right before you leave be like a hey, a hey, dumbass like corona hit well <laughs> nobody listens i can i can tell you one thing for sure that the nfl was a better product then and that was this bs horse challenge that the nba put together <laughs> with espn <sighs> This was a hot garbage waste of time. I literally watched 10 minutes of this thing. If you didn't see it, uh, the the NBA and the ESPN did this horse challenge. It was all virtual, different NBA players, some current, some former players where they're playing, literally playing horse virtually on their different, you know, different courts. Nothing, at least in the 10 minutes that I gave this program, there was nothing entertaining about it at all. I watched the first 10 minutes of, 
Chauncey Billups and Trey Young. Trey Young was doing left-handed free throws. Chauncey Billups was doing swish from three, like uh, nothing but net, no rim. Like there was nothing entertaining about this at all. I understand that with the coronavirus, they got to make do, they got to figure out, you know, different ventures or different things to keep people entertained. But this ain't it. Well, I think people thought, and I, I included, I thought it was going to be like, all right, this is this going to be like a game of horse, like when you and I are kids, you're trying to do like these trick shots and you're trying right. to be like the pros. But it, like I was expecting, okay, this is going to be like a dunk contest virtually. And it wasn't even close. Yeah. When I put, when I turned it on, it was Paul Pierce and Anthony Levine. And Paul Pierce tries making uh, a shot from outside the three, like left-handed or something like that. And then... Uh, or it was, it was a dribble up into a layup, and he missed it, or whatever it was. Paul and then, Pierce was out of breath playing horse. How do you get out of breath playing horse? <laughs> right? And then then Levine does this, like, okay, I'm going to jump up and tap the ball on the backboard and then take it around and, and do the hook shot. And it's like, dude, well, I that, can do I that. I can see that. That would actually be kind of entertaining. That's I can see Zach Levine. Zach Levine's the guy that uh, Zach Levine, has yeah. been shortchanged in the, in the NBA dunk contest a couple of times. That guy... He can fly, so I would be entertained. But he didn't do. Him, but. He literally just took the ball. To, he, he was like, "Oh, I'll go easy on you, Paul." He's like, "I'm just gonna still give you a letter." He taps it on the backboard, goes up on an arm. If that, if it were me, and I could jump that high, I could do that. <laughs> right, and I would play basketball. Like it, it wasn't that difficult. I'm sitting there like I want to see you put something through the legs, or like I want to see you do a a. You know, behind the back shot, something, something crazy, something that you would see right. two kids playing on a basketball court, and we didn't see it. So to me, NBA horse challenge, straight fail. That's all it was. But you well, know, speaking who, of fails, oh yeah, you're gonna. All right, all right, you're gonna get the transition. Go ahead. Yeah, speaking of fails, uh, the NASCAR project that they're doing with this whole <laughs> gaming, you know, racing race events that they're they're doing these stream race events that they're doing. Uh, took a hard right into a wall the other day. For the second week in a row. I didn't hear about the first week, so you'll have to fill me in on this. But all I know is that Chip Canassi Racing's driver, Kyle Larson, in the middle of his stream, trying to talk to his, I guess, spotter. You know, I don't know how a video game has a spotter, <laughs> but apparently he does. Drop the N-bomb. Clear as day live on the broadcast for everybody to hear and then try to play it off. You know, they, everybody called him out was on. It was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Can't believe you said that on there. He's like, yeah, Wait, yeah, we yeah, can yeah, all hear you. you. <laughs> He's like, oh, don't don't uh, don't don't, don't tell you about it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Don't get out of here. You just dropped the end bomb on national TV. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Well, and, and then obviously today. Yep. He lost his job. Yeah, he Chip, Chip Ganassi Racing fires him. And, and the other one was was Bubba the one was Bubba Wallace when he he got turned into the wall in the virtual race and said, Ah, I quit and then lost a sponsor. Right. So two weeks in a row now we've had issues with this iRacing. It's just not working out. Um the other one was news. I'm gonna let you talk about it, but it was news that, that you kinda you broke to me like right after it, it was announced and I went and I'm like, What? No, no way. And I I'm like, holy shit, it's real. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, pretty sad news uh, in the worlds of baseball, uh, at least Yankee baseball, anyways. Hank Steinbrenner, the son of longtime Yankees owner George Steinbrenner, passed away Monday. Uh, he had been, kind of been battling some issues with his liver for a yeah. long time. Uh, none of this was related to COVID or you know or the virus in any kind of way. It wasn't complications with that. He just uh, lost a battle that he had been fighting for a long time. He was pretty young. He was only 63. He had just turned 63, yard, 63 years old. 
he was kind of the heir apparent um, as far as the the, my, the the major face of the, the, the organization when George passed away, uh, but then started having those health concerns years right. ago. And he kind of let Hal step into the spotlight and kind of take that uh, lead presence for the organization. But uh, definitely at least wanted to mention it. Uh, pretty sad news that, that that came across today. Yeah, it's sad to hear. I mean, you it's the Yankees, and we all hate them, but you, you hate to hear that situation, especially that name has been around baseball for so long, right? And, you know, so knowing knowing what, what he meant and him taking over for his dad and being the co-chair um, of the team and partner in the team. So it's sad to hear, but, you know, thoughts are, thoughts are out there to the Yankees right now, as much as I hate to say that. You know, thoughts yeah. are with the Yankees and the Yankees family and the, the Steinbrenner family. So, um and then if you notice yeah. up in our picture here uh, for this segment, yeah. we got Rhonda Rowdy Rousey. Rowdy, Rowdy Rhonda Rousey. Whatever it is. I liked her when she was just Rhonda Rousey, and she was a mean <laughs> bitch in the UFC is what she was. Well, you want to talk about a mean bitch. She's been, she has some pretty mean comments uh, for the fans. You know, she made that move from UFC to WWE, and in an interview with Steve-O, Steve-O of all people. I can't believe that guy's got a podcast. But right. I probably should listen to it. It's probably pretty entertaining. It, 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 I have listened to it on quite a few occasions. It is. It can be pretty funny, and he's got some pretty good guests. Uh, so, But here's what Ronda had to say about WWE, and specifically its fans. And warning, explicit content. Because we were eliminating all of our expenses and living in this lifestyle, we, you know, <clears throat> we didn't need it. We didn't need the money. So it's just like what am I doing it for if I am not being able to spend my time and my energy on my family, but instead spending my time on energy on a bunch of fucking ungrateful fans that don't even appreciate me. So oh, I was like, man, man like, and then the thing is like, I love performing. I love the girls. I love being out there. But um, at the end of the day, I was just like, fuck these fans, dude. My family loves me and they appreciate me. And I want all my energy to go into them. So you're going to say, I fuck a billion dollar industry that it yeah, stands well, alone. Almost. <laughs> I understand where she's coming from. She doesn't need the money. Right. And right. Fans have been very, very harsh on her because they feel like, you know, that she, that it was basically just a publicity stunt, bringing in a big name like that. And they're, they're making her win all these fights. And you can obviously tell she's, she's not skilled in their performance category. I was like going to say she's a great <laughs> fighter and that i think that's kind but, of there were some other comments that she made i don't know if it was on the steve-o uh, uh podcast or if it was a couple of other interviews that she did but she talked and compared ufc and real fighting right to well, this fake fighting is what she called it fake fighting right or performance acting that is the wwe and, and for some which did not sit well with people in the wwe well no so the it actually what it was was when you go when you kind of go back and look at it the the comments she originally had to the fans a lot of people in the wwe a lot of a lot of performers do have the respect for the fans right even if they're the heel and they're supposed to hate the fans they respect the fans right because yeah. the fans are what gets what gets them paid to, to her defense, and to, a little bit for those that are saying, oh, well, they, she never should have come in, to take a badass like her, right? Meanwhile, I understand she came off some bad fights in the UFC, right, where she she got beat. Yeah, she did not end her career in the UFC on a, on a good note. No. But to have her come over and be beaten by some of the, some of the stars that were there, 
It just wasn't realistic. And when you're trying to get that entertainment and still have that real feel to it, you're looking at it and some, you know, somebody goes to pick her up. You're looking at it going, if she's in the UFC, she's going to put that person in an arm bar and break their arm. It just wasn't yeah. believable if she doesn't come in and win. So I, I get I get why they did it. I get it to an extent. But when she said that, it set some people off in the WWE who cared about them. You know, some of the some of the wrestlers that she went up against um, and, and they had, hey, this isn't fake. You know, one person had been out for a year and was like, you know, I was out for a year after facing her after she put me in an arm bar because she legit did hurt my arm. And there's that fine line with wrestlers that you're you're trusting another wrestler be, to yeah. not hurt, to not be hurt, but it happens and they get it. So that's why I, I I've I've never been a big fan. I mean, you know me, I'm not yeah. a huge wrestling guy. I was I watched wrestling when I was a kid. Uh, it was entertaining when I was a Say, kid for the entertainment think, value. Then yeah, the, I, I've never considered wrestling a sport. Uh, you know, when I was old enough to figure out that it was fake and it was all entertainment and all that stuff, I don't consider it a sport. I don't consider anything predetermined a sport. Well, I do think it's super athletic, and I think you've got to be an immense athlete to be able to do it, but I don't consider it a sport. But we've seen this time and time again when you take these people that are basically trained trained fighters in yeah. a lot of way i mean these they have these, to these they have to they fighters. literally can't fight they literally can't get into fights outside of outside of the the sanctioned fights because if they do they're they are literally considered legal like weapons weapon. exactly. exactly and that's and, that's kind of to ronda's point you brought it up she so her response to all the wrestlers right that were that were calling it calling her out so this i'm going to read verbatim what she said Anyone who is outraged by me by me calling pro wrestling fake fights for fun has never been in a real fight. While you all are tiptoeing around bruising some pro wrestlers' huge soft egos, no one is thinking about all the real fighters you're insulting when pretending pro wrestling is somehow on the same level of realism. Yes, I understand wrestling 300 days a year for years on end is incredibly tough on the body and a difficult profession. But do you know what would happen if you got in 300 real fights a year? You would be dead. Yeah, and I mean, she's not saying there anything there that's not true. Right. I 100% agree with everything that she's saying. That, you know, And again, this is why I don't think it works for, for trained professional fighters to then try to go into something where it's choreography and it's, it's, it's fake. It's, it's not real contact you know what i mean like there is contact don't get me wrong you don't fake falling from a the you know the top of a cage onto a onto a table and shattering a table like there's a lot of risk that comes with all this stuff yeah. there's a lot of, of of real injury that comes with it but these are people that don't hold back right like these are people that are trained to put you in submission to all of a sudden have to hold all that back this is why it doesn't work out. Right. And I think I think the part of the WWE is, you know, the allure is they're they're giving the they're giving some of these athletes like that, like a Ronda, like now I think it, I think it's Tyson Fury that is that is now in the mix, right? It started with Brock Lesnar. It started with technically technically if you want to go back, it started with the guy that we know, Kurt Angle, right? Yeah. Back in the day, right? Kurt Angle was a le a legitimate Olympic gold medalist wrestler. And you turned him into a performer, and it well, succeeded. Well, think about The Rock. The Rock was, was a pro football a, a college player. College football player. Yeah. He was a professional or, football. Goldberg player. Goldberg was the pro football player too. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So you have all these guys that come from different backgrounds that are physical backgrounds that are that are able to do it. So it's they've had success in the past, which is why they do it and they're going to continue to do it because it gets it is ratings and it gets them there. Look, what are you going to do? Vince McMahon is in it to make money. Yeah. And guess what? He's made a lot of it. Yeah. Just not in the XFL. <laughs> Two-minute warning. All right, Scott, it's time for the two-minute warning. And being that we went through this whole rundown of sports, right, we basically <laughs> covered the majority of the topics that we would normally cover here in the two-minute warning. Yeah, but so there we only got one, one question kind of this big week. story uh, that happened recently that I thought – you and I would probably spend a little bit of time on, and what we're going to do is we're going to go for two minutes, one each, yeah. on this one topic. All right, so I'm going to ask it. You're going to start us, and then in a minute, I'm going to take over. So here it is. I'll I'll uh, I'll let you know when the bell starts. So Christian McCaffrey obviously signed the four-year extension. Uh, it's an average deal of about 16 mil a year. He's yeah. now going to be the highest-paid running back in NFL history. He moved over top of Elliott, who was making about 15 a year. Is this the right move for Carolina? Go. A hundred percent. This is the right move. Christian McCaffrey is one of the most versatile players in the NFL. He is the most versatile player in the NFL. Uh, you can kind of get enamored with certain stats for a running back obviously like with a quarterback with Lamar you focus on passing yards and that's why you don't take the whole value of what Lamar is if you look at Christian McCaffrey it's real easy to get focused on the rushing stats but you don't look at the total package let me give you a breakdown in his first three NFL season Christian McCaffrey's rushed for 2920 yards Marcus Allen a Hall of Famer 2879 yards Receiving yards, Christian McCaffrey, 2,523 yards. Marvin Harrison, Hall of Famer, 2,478 yards. Receptions, Christian McCaffrey, 303. DeAndre Hopkins, 239. Wow. Total yards for scrimmage, Christian McCaffrey, 5,443. Barry well, Sanders, 5,391. Barry Sanders, you, enough right. said. <laughs> you bring up all these stats, and they, they alone stand there, right? But let's take a second and reflect. What does Carolina have besides Christian McCaffrey? Nothing. Not a lot. They had Luke Kuechly, and he gone, right? You know, you had Cam Newton, and he he fizzled out. He had – you had receivers that were there – receivers you know that, that wound up retiring you have some you know in, in Steve Smith who left and was tired of it you came to came to the Ravens and then retired and then you you really haven't had much to be excited about but you know what Christian McCaffrey Christian McCaffrey has revitalized that Carolina fan base by himself by himself because they were getting tired of Cam Newton and all the the hoopla that comes with Cam Newton and the BS that comes with him. So this guy, he deserved to get paid and he deserves to be the highest paid in the league and in history. 100% agree with you. Uh, Actually, real quick before we sign off, Mark Ingram did his interview today and they asked him about Christian McCaffrey and they asked him about his deal. And he, he, he went to bat for Christian McCaffrey said he's worth every penny. And I thought he brought up a good point. I think running backs are severely 
underpaid and undervalued for what they bring uh, in relation to how other certain positions yeah. get paid. So at $16 million a year for what Christian McCaffrey can do and affect this team, worth every penny. Yeah, 100% of an agreement there. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate each of you guys tuning in each and every week as you do. I appreciate all the comments this week. Uh, hopefully you liked, you know, obviously not a lot of sports news this week, but hopefully you liked what we did and going uh, down the nostalgia and, and getting that nostalgia feel for everybody. It sounds like everybody got some chills while they're out there talking sure. some things. Um, you know, if you have if you have some ideas for future shows, if we're still in quarantine, Send them to us. DM Fred, DM myself, uh, you know, shoot us a message, shoot us a text if you got our number. We're more than open to ideas. We're trying to fill time with, when there's not a lot of sports news. So we're coming up with ideas, and hopefully it's entertaining for you guys. Make sure you check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. While you're there, make sure you check out all of our episodes. Make sure you like the episodes. Comment if you want while you're there. Learn about us and get yourself from Bur some Birdland BS gear. I've got on my hashtag Lamar Effect shirt that Fred so uh, eloquently started and made. Copyright infringement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> make sure you also check us out through BigPlayBigPay.com, BigPlay Twitter page, and download the BigPlay app. Uh, make sure BirdlandSports.com as well. And like I said, if you want to reach out to us, Birdland BS. Search us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. It's all at Birdland BS. You'll be able to find us no problem at Fred BLBS, at Scott BLBS, at Bartender underscore Blake. For Brian, I know he's not here, but make sure you, you go follow, like, and subscribe to anything that we do. Make sure you're sharing the shows when we're out there. Again, if you want to reach out to us with your opinions or topics, we're more than happy to share them on the show. We always do the social media shout out as well. Make sure you turn out, check out the audio version of this podcast. Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, you name it, we're there. Thanks for tuning in, as always. We'll be back next Tuesday night, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. You guys know where we're at, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We're everywhere. Go check it out for Fred, the missing Brian, and myself. We'll see you guys next week. See you. <laughs>